LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. Well, you've probably heard about the movie Overcomer, but you might not know that there are actually some books and Bible studies that were inspired by the film. One is called Defined. It's by Alex and Stephen Kendrick, and it's a book and Bible study based on insights from the book of Ephesians. It's got personal stories and practical wisdom. Defined will challenge you to let the one who knows you best be the one who guides your heart the most. There's another book for teens and young women. It's called Radiant by bestselling author and co-star of Overcomer, Priscilla Shirer. For these teen girls, there's also the Defined Bible Study, which is an invitation for teen girls and young women to enjoy a candid conversation on identity. You can find these books and Bible studies at lifeway.com slash overcomer. And now I hope you enjoy Ask Me Anything. All right, welcome to Ask Me Anything Season 2. I am Matt Love, and we will be sharing some of our favorite leadership lessons from Pastor J.D. throughout the month of September. It's a little different than our normal format where we typically ask J.D. a question, he gives us an answer. But these quick thoughts on different leadership topics are just really too helpful not to share, and so we really wanted to make these available for you guys. And so today, J.D. is going to work quickly through the value statements about disciple-making of the Summit Church. And so he's just going to dive into a little bit about what disciple-making looks like at Summit, and and I think it's going to be really helpful for you and your church as you think through these things. So let's hop into it. So one of the things I wanted to do today is spend a little bit of time just kind of reviewing the core values that guide our church that apply to disciple making. You know, I will remind you of one of the things that we say about our plumb lines, and that is that when you are sick of hearing them, that means that people that come to our church have probably just heard them for the first time. So if you are hearing some of these things and you're like, oh, I I feel like I could vomit this out, that's great. Because, because that means our church is probably starting to get infected and saturated with uh, some of the, the values that we have here. So um, give you the first one is that the gospel is not just the diving board of Christianity, it is the pool. If there was a plumb line that is the core and the granddaddy and the, the queen mother of all of our plumb lines, this one is it. And that is the gospel is not simply something for unbelievers. That is the entry right into Christianity. It is the whole pool. Um, every single dimension of growth in Christ comes from growing not beyond the gospel, but by going deeper into the gospel. When I you know, was growing up, you know, the gospel was something you did at the beginning. It's like the thing you went through. And then after that, you became a greater Christian by learning principles on this and teachings on that and verses about that and Bible history and different practices. And it was just things that I added to the gospel. But that is not what the Bible teaches. It's always deeper into the gospel. What Martin Luther, he called it the dilemma of the great commandment. The dilemma of the great commandment is God is commanding us to do something that by definition really cannot be commanded. Because the great commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, and strength. But the question is, if you don't love something, can any command change that? And if you already love it, why would you need a command to tell you to love it? I don't have to be commanded to play with my kids or love my kids. I love my kids. I don't have to be commanded to enjoy the food that I enjoy or to go on vacation. Those things are are inherent in my nature now. So what Martin Luther said, and you got to think about it. He said, he said, what the law requires is freedom from the law. 
What the law requires, if you sum up all the law as love God and love other people, what that is really required is freedom from the law because if you really did love people, you wouldn't need to be commanded to do it. And if you don't love them, then no command is actually going to change that. And so one of the things we, we, we talk about here at the Summit Church is how are we going to grow our people as disciples? And we're talking about a lot of different things we want them to do and a lot of different you know, missional hangouts and let's do this and learn this, but we never want to get away from the fact that real transformation happens as they grow in their awareness of the glory of God in the gospel. Here's what Paul says, 2 Corinthians 3.18. We behold the glory of the Lord in the face of Jesus Christ, and as we do that, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. How do we become people who desire to um, follow God's glory? The answer is by beholding the glory of the Lord. The revelation of the love of God for us is what produces love for God in us. So we want, in, in all these things that we do, and all these principles and all this, we're trying to get back to what has Christ done and not just focus on what we need to do. Otherwise, uh, it is, as we often say, it's like stapling roses on a rose bush. You don't make a rose bush fruitful by stapling roses to it. If the root is right and the plant is alive, it would naturally bring forth roses. The people who love Jesus most are going to be the ones, be the ones who are the most fruitful. So imperatives minus indicatives equals impossibilities. Imperatives do this. Indicatives, what Jesus has done. Unless we ground everything we do in the glory of what Jesus has done, and unless the weight of what we talk about is weighted toward that, again, it's usually not that you obviously deny it. It's that you just neglect it and all you're talking. If unless the weight, we put the weight on what Jesus has done, then what we're giving people are impossibilities. Imperatives minus indicatives equal impossibilities. That's why I often say the goal of a sermon is not that you leave with a page full of notes, the goal of a sermon is not you leave with, a, leave with a page full of action steps. The goal of a sermon is that you leave worshiping. That when you look to God and say, oh my God, look at who you are and what you've done, then what you need to do will begin to flow naturally from that. I'm preaching the gospel to believers, I believe, every week is like a spiritual defibrillator. You know, that you, it's basically that you've know, you got to restart the heart. And so I'm not just preaching the gospel to unbelievers. I'm preaching it to all of us because I need my heart reawoken on a regular basis because it seems like just about every week it kind of gets cold. And so we, we delve into the gospel. So let's make sure the emphasis is on the right syllable in our presentation. Number two, number two, one of our plumb lines, we say that we measure success at this church by sending capacity, not seating capacity. Now, the reason that we do the seating capacity is because we know that the more people that we reach, the more people that we are um, enabling to send, both to the community and, of course, around the world and to our church plants. Why do we put so much focus on sending. I really want to hit this because I feel like this is counterintuitive and I don't ever want this to be taken for granted. It's not just something we do because, oh, you know, just it makes us cool. It's no. The reason we do this is because all the promises that Jesus gave about the greatness of the church and the expanse of the church, all of them are not tied to a number surge in any one location as a group of people gather to kind of bask in the anointing of, of one anointed man. All the promises are like this one, greater works than I've done, you will do, because I'm going to my Father. Now, what an interesting verse. Because I'm going to my Father means I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And that's why you're going to do greater works. You're not going to do greater works because you preach better sermons. Has anybody in this room ever preached a sermon that comes anywhere close to the Sermon on the Mount? Go ahead, stand up so we can all mock you. 
Nobody, who would ever preach a greater sermon than Jesus? Anybody here ever done a greater miracle? Of course not. Anybody here ever counseled someone with greater wisdom than Jesus counseled the woman at the well? You ever, you ever tried to do that kind of counseling? Just like some, something mysterious and strange that you point out and you're hoping they'll latch onto it and it totally flops? Anybody ever tried that but me? You know, you, I have water to drink that you know, know not of. And they're like, what is wrong with you, man? Like, you, you know, and we can't. He does, he does the greatest work. Nobody prayed with greater clarity. So the greater works that he's talking about are only going to happen when the Holy Spirit begins to multiply himself on believers who were sent out, period. I, I, I'm not a greater preacher than Jesus. And so if Jesus had wanted to do the greatest, if the greatest work was going to be a big megachurch, he should have stayed and established First Baptist Jerusalem. And we'd all podcast him every week. But he didn't do that because he knew that the greatest works would happen when people are raised up and sent out, which means our success at this church is not gathering people and counting them. It's raising them up and sending them out. Even if they don't leave the Summit Church, we know that they're going to have to carry the gospel into the places where people work because the number of people who come in on the weekend to hear from me, that is a very small number. I mean, we love the guests, but but there's more people who will not come in here and hear me than who will. And so we've got to equip them to carry the gospel to them which is why that's our focus. And it just needs to become even more a part of of the mentality of everything that we do. Our focus is not on the environment we create. Our focus is, you know, we're wanting to facilitate a movement of disciple-making disciples. The fact that it's a movement means that it really is not, didn't start with us. It's something the Holy Spirit is doing. We're here to facilitate it, which means we're not leading it. We're just trying to catalyze it, realizing that most of the energy is going to come from the people and not from the pulpit, not from us. It's going to happen by the people and God, not by us. And it's disciple making disciples. That's the goal. We're not against counting numbers. We just want to make sure we count the right ones. And the right number is not the number that sit in our audience on the weekend. The right number is the ones who are carrying the gospel and making disciples in the neighborhoods and in their workplace. So that's our focus is that we want to measure the success of this church by sending capacity, not seating capacity. Here is number three. The church is God's demonstration community. In Gaining by Losing, I borrowed an image from Mark Dever where he talked about the church is supposed to be like the invisible man. Uh, The invisible man is yet to make a comeback in the Marvel comic series. I'm looking forward to the movie where he does because he was always my favorite. Uh, The invisible man, because you just run around, you could mess things up and nobody knew it was you. Uh, So I'd be the invisible man in my sister's room. I'd go destroy a room and be like, the invisible man did it. But the only way that you could see the invisible man is if you dump paint on him. And when you dump paint on him, you could get his outline. Well, the church is supposed to be like the paint on the invisible Christ. They're supposed to see who Christ is and what Christ is like and the kind of community he creates by the shape of the church, which is why at this church, we put so much emphasis on ministries like our ministries to the homeless, the orphan, the prisoner, the young mother, and the high school dropout. Why is that? Is that because it helps our bottom line because it increases our attendance? I would not necessarily. In fact, not at all. The reason we do that is because that's who Jesus spent his time with. He came for those people. And so if we want to look like Jesus, our ministries are going to look like that too. Jesus didn't only reach those people. He preached to 5,000, you know, mainstream people. He had a lot of big events, but you also saw him, you know, getting involved with the people that we would characterize in in categories like that. We, We do that because we genuinely love those people, yes, but we also do that because we think it better shows the shape of Jesus. It's why we put a lot of emphasis here on diversity. Um, we don't pursue uh, diversity here at this church because it's the new cool thing to do. We don't do it because it's better for attendance. In fact, I can make a strong argument that it's not better for attendance. Things tend to grow better when they're homogenous. 
If you just are looking for how to increase your numbers, homogeneity is the better route. Um, the reason we do that is because we know that Christ's bride is supposed to be made up of people from every tribe and tongue and nation. And so the way we say it is the gospel compels us to reflect the diversity of our commu- community and proclaim the diversity of the coming kingdom. We do that because we bl- think it brings more glory to Jesus than homogeneity does. Because the church is God's demonstration community and to disciple, make people into disciples, that's what we're trying to get them into the shape of. I'll give you three real quick ones on discipleship itself. Um, number four, Jesus commanded us to make disciples, not converts. Again, we're not against counting. I love celebrating numbers. By the way, I hope you're not so spiritual. You don't like numbers. There's a whole book in the Bible named numbers. Um, they were always counting numbers in the New Testament. 5,000 people here, 3,000 here. They were all into numbers. Um, it's just make sure we count the right ones. And the right ones are disciple-making disciples. Number five, the Great Commission is completed by multiplication. It's not completed by addition. And so um, our focus uh, on raising up disciple-makers. Number six, you replicate what you celebrate. Uh, It's one of the things we say here at the church. It just communicates that if we want to see more of something, talk about it. And so we want to celebrate every disciple-making story we can. We're going to do that on the macro level. We need you to do it on every level in between in the church. Um, celebrate disciple making disciples in your small groups in your ministries because when we celebrate that we believe that we will also replicate that more often not sure if you guys have heard of the unseen leadership podcast but unseen leadership hosted by chandler vinoy and josh hunter explores the unseen stories that have made leaders who they are today This is a podcast for young leaders to learn from those ahead of them by exploring the early days of their leadership, understanding the mistakes they made, and identifying the habits that shaped them, all to help you lead in the future. So just look up Unseen Leadership on your favorite podcasting app and subscribe today.